So here we are at the Rashi Shir. <laughs> and we will start with a little vort from this week's Pasha. I can't promise always to do this, but if I come across a Rashi in this week's Pasha, which I think, ah, oh, that's worth looking at, either because it's fascinating or because it's a beautiful vort, as is in this case, let's do that. So if anyone has um, access to Shemot, the very last Pasuk on the, uh, in the Sedra of Pekude, which is the very last Pasuk, in Chum, uh, the Chumash of Shemot, says, Ki Anan Hashem al Hamishkan, Yomom Vaisht, Hiya, Laila Bo, Laenei Kobet Yisrael, Bachol Masehem. So the cloud of Hashem was on the Mishkan by day, and the fire was on it by night before the eyes of all Israel on all their journeys. Anyone spot the obvious problem in the Pasuk? The cloud was on the Mishkan on all their journeys. No, okay. Well, let's look at Rashi and see if you can then work out what the obvious problem is. Um, The last, uh, about halfway through, Mokom Chanayatan Afhu Kurui Masa. The place of their encampment is also called Masa, a journey. We have a pasuk in Bereshit about Abraham who went to his journeys, which actually refers to him stopping at all the places that he needed to pay his debts. Look there in Bereshit Yud Gimel. And also the part, the, the sedra of Ela Masay, B'nai Yisrael. These are the journeys of B'nai Yisrael. And then what does it list in the beginning of sedra Masay? All the places they stopped. So we've got a problem. Because he, why is Rashi explaining that Masay, a Masa, a journey, is also the name for a Mokom Chania, a place of encampment? Because, and this is the problem in the Pasuk, the cloud wasn't on the Mishkan when they were journeying. Where was the cloud when they were journeying? At the front, not the, uh, leading the way. When was the cloud on the Mishkan? Dafka when they stopped journeying. The cloud settled down. We hear this many times in, in Balotcha. It says it over and over again. And it says it actually here, just a few pasukim earlier. When they were ready to journey, the cloud would lift up off the Mishkan, go at the front, and they'd all follow it. When they stopped, the cloud would come back onto the Mishkan. So how can it say here, Anan Hashem ala Mishkan, Bechol Masehem? The cloud was on the Mishkan in all their journeys. So that's why Rashi has to say, Masa doesn't just mean journey. What else does Masa mean? It also means the place of their encampment. So now we can understand. Avraham, he went to his Masa'av, which means he went back to the places where he'd stayed. Ela Masay, these are the journeys, but then it lists the places where they camped, because the word Masa can also mean where they camped. So the Pasuk is fine. The cloud was on the Mishkan, Bechol Masayhem, i.e. their journeys. But finally, why does Rashi say that a Masa, which we always understand to mean a journey from the root Sa, to go, can also mean a place of encampment? And he says, From the place where they camped, they then returned and journeyed. So what is a place of encampment? It's not just a place where you stop. What else is it? It's a place where you start from. So when you're in a place of encampment, you're getting ready to go. So that's why the encampment is actually part and parcel of the journey. So it's very clever that Rashi has identified the problem, which you didn't, but um, which actually, when you think about it, is obvious. The cloud wasn't supposed to be there on the journeys. Dafka, it was when they, um, it was only when they camped. But, says Rashi, 
with a place where you camp can also be called a journey. Why is this very nice? Because it actually lends itself very easily to a vault, to an idea. And the idea is this, that we often find ourselves stuck. We often find ourselves apparently not moving, not going forward. Now, says Rashi, if that place where you're stuck is actually a platform for the next stage of your journey, then it's still part of the journey. Now, if it's not the platform for the next stage of a journey, if you're not like getting ready to go anywhere, then maybe it isn't. But if anyone finds themselves at a stage of life where they think, I'm not going anywhere, what's happened to my journeying? Ah, if you are in a place where you're stood still, but you're getting ready to move, you're getting the wherewithal in one way or another to move forward, that is still a massa. So the makam chaniya, the place of encampment, can also be part of the journey. If mi makam chaniya, if from the place of encampment you're going to move on, then it's still part of the journey. It's an idea that I think we can all apply in a number of ways. Okay, so we were going through every Rashi in the Chumash. For those who are new to the Shia, welcome. And what we're doing is learning every word of every Rashi and uh, trying to understand what Rashi is doing and why and perhaps some further insights. Um, we are on Perak Bet Pasuk Hay. And um, it says, the All shrubs or trees of the field. Now the word terem, just to recap from last week, doesn't mean before. What does it mean? Anyone was here last week? It means not yet was in the earth. And all the herbs of the field, terem yitzmach, had not yet sprouted. Because Hashem Elohim had not made rain on the ground. Adam ayin, and there was no person la avod et ha to work the ground. Now we've done most of the Rashi on that pasuk. First of all, he explains that terem doesn't mean kodem before; it means adayin lo, not yet. Secondly, he explained what the significance of a person not being there. It's not that we just need a person to be the groundsman, but rather only when a person is there will they recognize that there's a need for rain, and they will daven. And until someone is there to daven, Hashem does not send rain. But the last part of the Rashi is on the words Hashem Elohim. We did this quickly last week and we're going to go over it again. So what does Hashem Elohim mean? So Rashi is going to tell you what that dual appellation for Hashem, which occurs throughout this peruk and occurs in many, many places, hundreds of places throughout the Chumash. What's Hashem Elohim? So he says, Hashem Hu Shemo. Hashem, that's Yudke Vavke, is his name. Elohim, Shahu Shofet Vashalit Al Kol. The word Elohim, which comes from Kel meaning, or El meaning strong, is the judge and the ruler over everything. Uh, for instance, the word Elohim, and I say it as Elohim, not Elohim, sometimes is translated as judges. Uh, it's also translated as mighty people. That might be Pshat in B'nai Elohim at the end of Perik Breshit. It doesn't necessarily mean the sons of gods. It might mean the sons of the mighty. Um, so Elohim has got a connotation of judging, of ruling, of being powerful. So Rashi is telling us that Hashem is his personal name. Yudke Vavke is, we've all got a name. Tom, Dick, Harry. Lahavdil Afel Afim. Hashem's name is Hashem. Elohim, however, is, I would say, it's his title. It's a description of what he does. And then Rashi says, 
This explanation applies in every place. Lefip shuto, according to the simple meaning, Hashem shahu Elohim. So it means Hashem, that's his name. That is Elohim, he is the ruler, the judge. Um, by the way, I, I might have mentioned this last week, if I didn't, I, well, I should have done, and I'll mention again, because it's always worth mentioning, um, that every time we say a bracha, we revert from Hashem's personal name, and we describe, we're coming very sort of close and friendly to him, Baruch Atah, Hashem, we say Atah, you, second person, singular, which is a very familiar way of talking to somebody. Um, when you talk to a big rabbi, you don't use you, would, you would like a cup of tea, you say, would the rabbi like a cup of tea, um, or, or whatever. Um, and yet, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who is Melech Malchei HaMalachim, we can say, you, Hashem, we're calling him by his name. And then immediately we say, Elokeinu Melech our God, as in powerful judge, ruler, king of the entire universe. So we get very close, and then we stand back, and we um, uh, are suddenly in awe, proper sense of the word, of the power of Elohim. Okay, why does Rashi say, uh, this is Lefi Peshuto? This is according to the simple meaning. Well, what does Rashi mean when he says the Shuto? He's usually saying that in contrast to a Midrashic meaning. You, or sometimes he will say, this is the Pshat and this is the Midrash. Here he just says, this is the Pshat. Now, I don't want to say that there's a secret there, and I'm about to reveal the secret, but it just so happens that he has already given us the Midrashic interpretation of Hashem Elohim. Anyone remember where that was? Okay, that was at the very beginning. So, if you look in Bereshit Aleph Aleph, which was a long comment of Rashi, and towards the end of that, he has on the words, Bara Elohim. So the Pasuk says, Bereshit Bara Elohim et HaShemayim ve'et Aretz. And what Rashi is actually about to allude to is the fact that throughout the first Perak, it doesn't say HaShem Elohim, it just says Elohim. In the second parak, it says Hashem Elohim. So what does Rashi say here in Aleph Aleph about that? Anyone got the place? The end of Rashi's, towards the end of Rashi's comment on Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. It's a long comment. But at the end he says, Bara Elohim. V'lo ne'emar bara Hashem. And it doesn't say Hashem, it just says Elohim. And it's not hard to assume that Rashi's contrasting why it says Hashem here and Hashem Elohim in Perak Bet. Um, and the answer is that at first it was Hashem's intention to create the world with Midat Hadin, the attribute of strict justice, as expressed by the name Elohim. He saw that the world could not survive. So he brought forward the Midat of Rachamim, the Shatva Midat Hadin and joined it to the Midot Hadin. Hainu Dichtiv, and that's why it says in Perak Bet, Bayom Asat Hashem Elohim Eretz Vashamayim, on the day that Hashem Elohim made earth and heaven. So Rashi there is saying, I'll tell you why it's Elohim in the first Perak, and it's Hashem Elohim in the second Perak, because Hashem needed Midot HaRachamim to join with Midot Hadin. Elohim is Midot Hadin, that was plan A, but plan B was to join Midat HaRachamim there as well. So, when Rashi says in Perak Bet, Pasuk Hay, that he's giving you the Pshat, that Hashem is his name and Elohim is his description, that's the Pshat. What's the Midrash? The Midrash is what he's already given you in Perak Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. Because that idea of 
midot hadin, midot harachamim, I think he's saying is not quite pshat. Um, it's not pshat because pshat is Hashem is his name and Hakim is his uh, title. So when it occurs, when, when it, his explanation, which was a different explanation, is not the pshat explanation, it's the midrashic explanation. Why does he give the midrashic explanation there? I'm not entirely, back in Aleph Aleph, I'm not entirely sure, but I think what he needs to do in Aleph Aleph is not just to tell you what Hashem Elohim is, but to explain the contrast. So why is there a contrast between Perak Aleph, where it's Elohim, and Perak Bet, where it's Hashem Elohim? And that's what he's done by that story about the Midat Adin and Midat Harachamim. Here, in Perak Bet, Pasuk Hay, he's explaining what Hashem Elohim means. That's doing his basic job as Rashi, telling us what the words mean. You want to know what Hashem Elohim means? I'll tell you, Hashem is his name, Elohim is his title. But I realize we have a question which I can't answer, which is why he didn't do that in Pasuk Dalad. Because in Pasuk Dalad was the first place Hashem Elohim was mentioned. And Rashi didn't say anything about Hashem Elohim there in Pasuk Dalad. He only does it here in Pasuk Hay. So I'll leave that as Sarach Ian. We need to study that further. If anyone's listening to this online has got a good answer, let me know. Yes? That was my question exactly. Ah, very good. Very good question. Um, and I haven't got an answer. But it's a good question. Okay, let's move on. If there's any questions, let's move on to Pasuk Vav. Ve'eid ya'aleh min ha'aretz ve'hishka et kol penei ha'adama. An aid. What's an aid? Okay, anyone said witness? Good try, but that's aid with an ayin. Aid with an aleph is a different word. It's a mist. M-I-S-T. Ya'aleh went up from the ground. Ve'hishka et kol penei ha'adama, and uh, irrigated or watered all the face of the earth. So Rashi says on the words, ve'eid ya'aleh, le'inyan b'riyatol shel adam. It's about the matter of the creation of humanity. Why does Rashi have to say that? What's he telling you it's not about? What might you have thought it's about? If you read the juxtaposition of hay and vav, about the vegetation? Ah, you might think it's about the vegetation because Hay says, ah, there was no vegetation yet because there was no rain. Pasuk Vav says, there was a mist. Sounds like the mist is the answer to the problem in Hay. No water, now Hashem sends water. That's why Rashi tells you that's not correct. How does Rashi know that's not correct? Because the mist is used immediately not to create vegetation, but to create man, which is the subject of the next Pasuk. Uh, and as Rashi's going to say, the water was necessary for the creation of man. So, we, the fact is, first of all, it's not rain. It's aid. It's mist. And Rashi tells you where that comes from. And it's not rain. And secondly, if it were the solution to the problem, the lack of water in Pasuk Hay, we'd expect the plants to grow. That would be the next thing to happen. But it's not what happens. So Rashi says, inyan briato shel adam. It's for the matter of the creation of man. So then what did he do? Where did this mist come from? He brought up the deep. Now the deep is an idea that Chazal mentioned from time to time, but there's water under the deep, and there's other things under the deep as well, and occasionally they come up, not always good news. Um, but Hashem brought up the source of water from below. Now, what word is Rashi explaining there? What? Yeah, And again, I think this also fits with that it's not a matter of rain, because what, what direction does rain go in? The 
it goes down. And this is something that went up. So if it went up, where did it come from? And Rashi tells you it came from Hatahum, the deep, which is water down below. And it watered the clouds to soak the dust. Now, um, in the next Pasuk, Hashem is going to do something with the dust. He's going to use the dust to form human, humanity, human beings. So Rashi's alluding to that here when he says, the water came up from the deep, watered the clouds, I'm not quite sure why the clouds are there, to soak the dust, the nivra ha'adam, and the human was created. Kegaval zeh, like this, uh, someone who needs, needs with a K, K-N-E-A-D, like when you need though. Shunoten mayim ve'achakach lash et ha'isa. Person who puts in the water and afterwards needs the dough. Afkan ve'hishkir, ve'hishka, sorry, ve'achakach ve'yitzar, ve'yitzer. Here he watered and then he formed. In other words, what Rashi is doing, and really everything in this passage, is stressing the continuity between Vav and Zion. And actually, it occurs to me, and as I said before, showing a disconnect between hay and Vav. Again, you might think that water is missing in hay, water supplied in Vav, there's a connection. No, Rashi is saying this is all about what's coming next. It's not what's going before. So, number one, it's not rain. Number two, it comes up from the deep. Number three, well, sorry, actually, number one, it's all about, as Rashi puts it, it's all about the creation of man. Number two, it's not rain, it's coming up from the deep. Number three, it's the essential prerequisite for what's about to happen. Because Hashem is, we're about to see, taking the dust of the earth, and you don't form things with dust unless it's a bit glumpy. And how do you make it glumpy? You put in water. And just like when you need dough, you put in the water first and then the flour and all the bits and then you knead it and you make, the, it's, it's, uh, make it into some sort of substance. That's what was happening here. So it seems to me that Rashi is at pains to stress that Vav is the precursor for Zion. And on that note, let's go to Zion. The Pasuk says, Vayitzer Hashem Elohim et ha'adam Afar min ha'adama So Hashem formed uh, Hashem uh, Hashem formed et ha'adam the human afar min ha'adama dust from the ground the yipach ba'apav and he blew into his nostrils nishmat chayim the breath of life vayehi ha'adam lenefesh chaya and the person became a soul of life or a soul living. Lots of words which are very hard to understand there. So Rashi is going to give us a bit of a help. But here we are. You know, this is the climax of everything we've been learning about. This is where we all came from. This is what humanity is. And there are ideas in that Pasuk which tell us all about the nature of humanity. Let's see what Rashi says. So the first thing that Rashi says is he's got an issue with the word Vayitzer. What do we notice about the word Vayitzer? Hmm? Two yuds. Two yuds. Um, I'm not sure what the grammatical explanation for that is. I, I'm sorry. Um, Ibn Ezra might be a good place to look. Uh, but I have... Yeah, that's what it says. 
says it indicates Steyitzer or two falling. Yeah, that's what Rashi's about to say. Oh, but yeah. I'm wondering if before we get to Rashi's explanation, there is a grammatical reason. But I think there probably isn't. Uh, and in fact, uh, I'll tell you why based on what, something that Rashi says. So there are two yuds. And Rashi says, Shnei Yitzirot, two formings. Let's translate Surah's form uh, rather than create. Because it doesn't mean create from nothing. It means take something and turn it into, give it form uh, to the substance. Um, so Rashi says, Shnei, Shnei Yitzirot. So basically what he's saying is, Vayitzer with two yuds is an abbreviation. For what? For the word repeated twice. So the word isn't repeated twice, but a little bit of the word is repeated twice, the letter Yud. Why do we need two creations, two forming, sorry? Says Rashi, Yitzira la'olam hazeh, v'yitzira la'techiyat ha'meitim. So there's a creation for this world and a creation for the resurrection of the dead. Don't ask me what the resurrection of the dead is going to be like and when it's going to happen because I don't know and nobody knows and anyone tells you they know is mistaken. That's what the Rambam says. Um, but there's going to be some time in the future, either with Mashiach or after Mashiach, when there will be some form of And that's going to be like another forming of mankind. So from the dead come the life. So says the Pasuk, that's already, if you like, encoded into the original creation of mankind. Actually, there's two ways of, say, of reading it. And it's not, uh, you can't be clear, it's, there's no proof which way. Either when Hashem created, there was within Hashem, with the person, the, the ability to be recreated. I mean, maybe like, like you get born with two sets of teeth, and the two sets of teeth are already there. Perhaps a little childish analogy. Um, or, it was one creation, but Hashem already created the ability for another creation several millennia hence. Um, either way, it's hinted at in the two yuds. And by the way, you could say that the second one is like far off and it's like not happened yet and it's only like an idea and that's why it's not a whole word by itself. It's just an extra yud. The first one was actually happening. It happened there and then. We're going to see in the Pasuk. The second one is, if you like, encoded in the software so it can happen in the future and that's why it's not a whole word it's just a letter and indeed which letter the smallest letter possible just a dot so in the creation of man there's a dot which will be the ability to be recreated in the future okay is this the makor for no uh, there are other Makorot. This isn't the Makorot. No. Rashi's not saying this is the Makorot. He's saying, we know about Tchiyatamitim from other places, and this is referring but to But then it. Why, do you, why would we care about the grammatical uh, nuance of the double Yud? Because obviously this is a special word in itself. So like, as in, why, why, why would any, I don't know if any Rishon does discuss it. Well, Rashi we, does. <laughs> He's a Rishon. As in, no, he doesn't discuss what it means, what it means with the double Yud. Because it means grammatically. You mean grammatically? Ah, yes. I don't know. Is that explanation? Uh, can you pass me that uh, that one? Okay. I'm just very. I don't want to take too much time away. But the place to look for grammatical explanations, if Rashi doesn't satisfy, is Ibn Ezra. Um, that's your source for grammar, and it, I don't know if he's going to say anything. Zion. Yes, the Ibn Ezra gives a grammatical explanation 
It's one of the vowels where the pay, which is the first letter, uh, it turns into a yud, mehabinyan hakal, kamo vayiket noach, with a double yud. Um, so Ebenezer says there's a, there's a grammatical explanation. Okay. No, and he brings a... And Rashi has nothing to base himself on. There's nothing to be explained. That's a normal way of spelling that word. Okay, to which I would say, I have one of two things. Either Rashi disagrees with the Ibn Ezra's gra- grammar. He sometimes does. Okay? Um, there are different opinions about the uh, subtleties of uh, complications of pinyanim in, 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 in grammar. Uh, so that's one possibility. I mean, I haven't checked this further. So I should have done, but I haven't. We're going to have to cut this out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, or Rashi could still be saying this. Um, in fact, let's just read the next line of Rashi, and I will come back to what you said. He says, "Aval babahema she'ena omedet ledin lo nichtav yudin." But with animals, which are not going to stand for din, they're not going to be judged, and they're not going to need a tachiyat to mate him, or they're not going to get a tachiyat to mate him. It doesn't write with their formation. Shnei Yudin, and he's referring to Pasuk Yud Tet. And if you look at Pasuk Yud Tet of our Perak, what do we see? What do you notice? It's a single Yud. So, possibility one, which is not my preferred option, is Rashi has a different idea of the grammar, and he doesn't think there's any grammatical necessity for the two Yuds. Possibly number two, which I'm sure of, because Rashi himself basically says this, it's even if it makes sense to have two yuds, it still doesn't need to have two yuds. How do I know it doesn't need to have two yuds? Because in Pasuk Yutet, you've got the same verb, with the same meaning, and with one yud. So it's, it's the same explanation. Like in, in the second explanation, it's basically like, Rashi holds that the grammar for this word has two plausible options. And, 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 then, and the Pasuk chooses to use double, the double yud here. Okay. But it's a very strong question. Um, so the Ibn Ezra, we've just seen, and I'm sorry, I really haven't studied Ibn Ezra. I, I mean, I, he tells you it's part, it's, it's a, there's a binyan that works like this. Okay? Um, but then still there's a strong question, why in Pasuk Yotet is there a different grammatical form of the same verb? And Rashi's got an answer. And Rashi feels there's a need to ask that question. In fact, now you can see, it's not just there's two yuds. It says two yuds here, as opposed to one yud there. And that means one yud is sufficient. So why two yuds? And very nicely, Rashi connects it to the distinction between humans and animals. Humans will have a tachir to mate him, which is a consequence of being standing in judgment. Notice how he's like flipped from one to the other. Animals, he didn't say animals don't have a tachir to mate him. He says animals, they won't stand in judgment, because that's what tachir to mate him is all about. Not, not, as I said, I don't know very much about tachir to mate him, but I do know that not everyone's going to come back. There's going to be a judgment process. So that's what Rashi focuses on when he says the animals won't have that judgment process and therefore, by their creation, it doesn't say Shnei Yudin, which sort of pack, picks up what he said, uh, sorry, it backs up what he said, first of all, that humans need two Yuds. Okay. Satisfied? You don't look 100% yeah, satisfied. Just except for, even though all of mankind is created, this two Yud Um, Reincarnation is different, by the way. Sorry? Reincarnation is a different matter altogether. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's why, yeah. Um, so, so this just applies to, like, like so why is it said of all of mankind? I think because all of mankind's got the potential for Tachir to make it. Yeah, but all of mankind, 
So, so if, if you just represent potential, then that's not the case for the creation of man in this world, because man is not only potentially created in this world, he's like definitely created. So maybe, uh, and I saw this somewhere, but the first creation, which is actual, is the full verb, vav yud tzadi resh, and the second yud is the potential, works nicely. Yeah. Yes? And especially when it's just a tiny little yud, just a dot from which can grow that uh, potential. Okay. Afar min ha'adama, dust from the earth. Rashi says, savar afaro mikol ha'adama me'arba ruchot. He piled up earth, or dust, from all the earth, he adds the word kol, which isn't in the Pasuk, from the four directions. Shebechol makom sheyemot, shom tehei koletato lekevura. Wherever he dies, there he will be accepted or absorbed for burial. Now, the Maral and the Gorara has got a long, long piece about the importance of burial and the significance of burial. We're not going to go through that, but we all understand that burial is important. It's very important. We, that's one of the reasons we are, are very opposed to cremation. It's very important that the body gets re- treated respectfully, and the most respectful thing we can do is bury it in the ground. It's a very important part of, I'm going to say life, obviously it's not quite, but in a sense it is. It's a part of existence. Okay, so kavura is very important. So just remember. So Rashi has this, obviously, Midrashic idea that in order that a person should be accepted by the earth, which is sort of anthropomorphizing the earth, in any place in the world, therefore, when Hashem was created, Hashem brought earth from all over to, so that wherever he dies, he will be uh, absorbed, because light will join with light, and the earth, the dust, which is part of mankind, which comes from everywhere, will always find a matching place wherever he needs to be buried. Yes? I'm just wondering, like, the term shebechol doesn't necessarily, I don't know, sound like he'd order that. It rather just means that, like, stating a fact. Well, who says shebechol? Apostle or Rashi? Yes. So Rashi can say what he wants in order to make his point. No, he, he's not darshaning on his own words. Right. No, but I'm saying, um, like, is he is he saying the causation is in that God took from the all the directions? That is why anyone would be accepted anywhere. It's, is that what is in order? That, is that yes, yes, is? yes. Okay. Now notice, Kol is not in the original pasuk. But why does Rashi say what he says? So it's argued that. Afar min ha'adama is actually repetitive, or, or sorry, there's a redundancy there. Because where else do you get dust from, if not from the earth? Right? There, there weren't like hoover bags to empty out in those days. So afar must have come from the earth. So Rashi says he's medayak in min ha'adama, as in from all the earth. That's what Rashi says min ha'adama means. It means from all the earth. Why is it from all the earth? So that's the reason that he's given. But then he says to Va'acher, there's another explanation. Natal afro mimakom shne'emarbo, he takes the dust from the place of which it was said, mizbach adama, same word, ta'aseh li, an altar of earth you shall make for me. So he said, Omar, he says, halavai lo kapara, Halavai, uh, if only it should be for him a kapara, an atonement, for Yachol la'amod, 
and he is able to stand. Now, there's a lot to unpick there. First of all, what's the basic idea? Where's he taking the earth? According to the second explanation, which is different from the first, where's he taking the earth from? What? One specific place. Sorry? One specific place. Which specific place? In the Mishkan. Uh, very good. Okay, so let's say the Mishkan. And where in the Mishkan? The Mizbeach. The Mizbeach. Because what was in the Mizbeach? Afar. Afar. The Mizbeach was made of earth. The Mizbeach, as we're learning about in, in this week's parasha, or last week's parasha, um, it comes up again next week's parasha, um, is, was hollow. The Mizbeach was hollow. It was copper on the sides, and it was empty in the middle. And when they camped, they filled it with earth. What's the deeper, what's the nicer, well, it's, uh, no deeper than Rashi himself says, I'm not going deeper than he says. So why do you take earth from the Mizbeach to make the first human? So that, what does the Mizbeach do for us? It brings kapara, it brings atonement. So when we bring sacrifices and they're offered up on the Mizbeach, the person who brings the sacrifice gets atonement. And it's good to have atonement. Halavai lo kapara la'amod. So he's able to stand. Stand when? What? Without dust. Without dust? Yeah. What, when, what do you mean? When the dust ceases to be so good? This, yeah. Well, when's that going to happen? Okay. So he's actually used the word amad just a couple of lines above in the previous comment. Not enough Remember the animals? They don't stand when? But humans do. They stand for judgment at the time of Tchiyatamatim. So he didn't say that outright, but he said the animals do. So some want to say there's a rather nice um, parallel that the two explanations of Afar Min Ha'adama correspond to the two Yudin. The first Yud, or the first Bayetzer, however you read it, is about the creation for this world. And the second Yud was about the time of Tehiyatamaitim. The first explanation of Afar Min Adama is about when you die. And when do people die? In which world? This world. This world. It's part of life, again, in this world. But if you need it for the, if you need atonement from the Mizbeach, so that, and he uses the word, Amod, but he will stand, and stand is, is, we've already seen, is connected to the time of Tchiyatamaitim. So it's possible to say, but that second explanation matches up with the second Yud and refers to that we need to have earth from the Mizbeach so that we will be able to have Kapara and therefore we will stand for the time of Tchiyatamaitim. I'm not sure that's necessarily correct, but it's, it's, it's rather thought-provoking to suggest that these two explanations of Afarmadama match perfectly with the two parts of the previous comment. Next point is, um, what's the uh, textual basis for Rashi's second explanation? So, there is an answer to this, and it's something that Rashi uses all the time. And it is? No, you look like you were nodding sagely. Uh, as in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just that line, like, Miss Bell, I don't want to ask I was looking where it's from, like, at the end of but it refers to the Mishkan. Rashi says exclusively it refers to the Mishkan. Okay. Because okay? it, like, it is in that context that. Like, 
Rashi, it's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. After the Asarat Inabrat, there are three more mitzvot which appear to be like, connected to nothing. And Rashi says they're all about the, um, uh, the Mishkan. So a little bit out okay. of order. And Mizbeach Adama is precisely about the Mishkan, about the Mizbeach and the Mishkan. Yes? I might, I might have an explanation that I think why God, um, why Rashi talks about Hashem and Kim. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's talking about in regards to man now. Before, when he said Pasita, he said. Um, well, I was looking at Pasita. Hashem Lokim in Dalit. Yes. Um, that's in regards to vegetation. Ah. And yet here, it's talking about man. man. So man doesn't. We're talking about kapara, which is okay, but, relevant uh, to man. Right. Hold on. But and that's uh, midat hadam harachamim. Yes. Um, but my question was why Rashi makes his point on hay, not. Now, he does refer so to the Adam Ayin Lavo. There was no man. And it could be, not sure, that's why I have to think about this, that Hashem being, Hashem Arakim being, Hashem having a name, and being the ruler, isn't relevant to vegetation. Because the vegetation don't need Hashem's name. And in a sense, they don't need to be ruled by Midat Hadin, because they don't do right or wrong. I'm, I'm working with what you're saying. And Adam is referred to, albeit by not being there in Pasuk Hay, but then only in relation to Adam is it relevant to say what Hashem's name. Yeah, nice. Thank you. Thank you. But what I was looking for in Pasuk, wherever to, um, Zion is the letter Hey. The letter Hey. Sorry, you're on. Uh, that's an interesting idea. There is this a whole union of being buried in Israel. Um, I haven't heard it associated with the Mizbeach and Kapara. I have heard it associated with Tchir Tamatim, so they might be first in line. Um, people who live, who are buried outside of Israel, Rashi says this on uh, the beginning of Vayechi, um, when Yaakov asked to be buried in Israel. And Rashi says there are three reasons for that. And one of them is, at the time of Tukhir Tamezim, if you're in Israel, you're just like, come back to life. If you're outside, if you're buried outside of Israel, you have to crawl through the tunnels to get to Israel. Um, so that's, that's, as far as I knew, the main source of the idea of being living in, living in Israel. So I don't think it directs, connects directly to the Mokom Hamizbeach. But thank you. Okay, the hay on Ha'adama. The definite article, Rashi has a principle, he uses this many, many places. If it says the something, then it means something that's been referred to elsewhere. Now, usually somewhere it's been referred to before. Here it's somewhere it's been referred to afterwards. So, afar min ha'adama doesn't mean any old dust from any old ground. It means afar from the adama. The adama. Now, what is the adama? Ah, where do we know that adama is specifically referred to? In the Mizbeach. As in the specific Adama? Possibly not. Well, I haven't checked, obviously. But I look at it from a different perspective. It could have said Afar Min Adama. Okay, so you're, I'm, I'm not sure that the first explanation is based on the hay, but it could be, as in the, the Adama, everywhere, the entire Adama. 
and Rashi replaces it by adding the word kol in his explanation. And in his second explanation, it's a specific Adama. And I, I, th- I think I would venture to say the Mizbeach has got the best claim to be the specific Adama. Okay? Now, by the way, one of the reasons, uh, the, the muscular David, uh, it says why we need two explanations in Rashi. And it's interesting, when I said about the Mizbeach, you said the Mishkan, you were correct. Um, what was in the Mizbeach in the, in the Bet Mikdash? Not earth. It was solid. The Mizbeach of Adama was only in the Mishkan. By the time they got to the Bet Mikdash, which is sort of like the, the upgraded version, there was no more Mizbeach Adama. And maybe that's why the second explanation is lacking, and maybe that's why Rashi needs the first explanation. The problem with the first explanation is there's a word missing from the Pasuk, which is essential for Rashi's understanding. What's the word missing? I've mentioned it a few times. Kol. Kol. It doesn't say kol ha-adama. It says ha, it says ha but it, if it means kol, it really should have said kol. Okay, so, you know, it's important to do this exercise because it's part of understanding Rashi. It's always problematic, nevertheless. The, the exercise is, and some of them are for Shem, Sifter in particular, Muscular David, will always look for why we need the two explanations. What is deficient about each, each, sorry, which is remedied in the other. Trouble is, when you, you come, when you find the answer and you say, oh, well, that's clearly what's the problem in the first explanation, then you say, well, hang on a minute, if it's so obviously flawed, why did Rashi bring it in the first place? So you always get that little um, sort of uh, dissatisfaction. Uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Rashi, chas v'shalom, but if Rashi felt the need for two explanations, that means Rashi did feel that each one was slightly deficient. And some of them, of course, asked themselves, what is the deficiency? And the answer given in this case is the first one says cold, but it's not in the Pasuk. The second one refers to the Mizbeach Adama as if that's the permanent arrangement. When it wasn't the permanent arrangement, it was the temporary arrangement. Okay. Then, he blew into his nostrils. Nishmat Chayim. Let's translate that as breath of life. Nishama means breath, it also means soul, as we know, and the two sometimes come together. Says Rashi, now Rashi gives a very sort of basic, uh, almost like child's Bible story explanation, but it's, as usual, much more profound than that. He made him from the lower worlds and the upper worlds. Guf min hatachtonim the body, that's the earth, that's the dust, came from the lower world, and the breath came from the upper world. So Rashi's going to give a bit more about why we need a bit of both. But just pause there for a moment. Just bear in mind, we haven't finished the Rashi by any means, but we can pause for a moment. This pasuk, which is, we can take it literally, we can take it metaphorically, it doesn't matter, is telling us very clearly that there is within each of us two elements. Elements which are dust, which is pretty nothingness, and the breath from a Baruch Hu himself, which is pretty somethingness. And as Rashi puts it, it's lower and upper. And as many of the Mephoshim talk about, the Maharal, and I learn a lot, and it says all over, all over the place, we have these two impulses within us. Um, we have the body and we have the soul. Um, I'm not saying the body is bad and the soul is good. That's not how it works. That's not how the Maharal, for instance, explains it. But nevertheless, the body and the soul are needing different things. They, they are, to some extent, pulling in different directions. And we have to harness them both. And our task as a human being 
is to respond to the breath from a Kaddish Baruch Hu and its demands and not the demands of the goof which is nothing but dust but better still than that is that one should rule over the other that the breath of life which we acknowledge by learning and doing Torah should harness the body to work in the right direction and that's what Torah is Torah is not about just uh, cutting ourselves from physical existence and just thinking about God Torah is uh, where we apply our understanding of what God wants to, us to do, and we do that in a physical way. And we use our physical bodies to do that. We use our hands to do mitzvah. We use our legs to do mitzvah. We use all of our body to do mitzvah. That is how we should act. Not to negate the, the physical, but to sanctify the physical. Because we have within us these two elements, and if we don't sanctify the body, then the body does go in a different direction, to the nishmat chayim, uh, to the breath from HaKadosh Baruch so that Pasuk says so clearly, and right at the beginning of creation, so fundamentally, there are two elements within us. Not necessarily that the body is bad, but nevertheless the body is distinct from the, what comes from the Elyonim, and it's our task to synthesize them, but in the correct way. So Rashi says, just in case you haven't noticed, but there's Afar and V'yipach Ba'apav, one comes from the lower realm and one comes from the upper realm. Yes? I didn't say that, sorry. I, didn't. I said we should, we should use the body for the sake of, the, of what the Nishmat HaChayim is telling us to do. We're going very deep, and, I, uh, and probably you know, there's so much to say, and I, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert on all this philosophy, and I don't want to get stuck in this because I want to get stuck in the Rashi. Um, but probably not. Have you got an idea? That, have you got a subtext to your question? No, just because that's why I Okay, no, I, I didn't say... No, I want to be clear. In my simple explanation, which is not the whole story, and I don't think I'm qualified to give the whole story, I didn't say that you should... The body isn't bad. I said the body isn't bad, but the, the purely physical impulses, I would say, are. The physical impulses, the physical needs, in the absence of being directed and guided and controlled by, by, by the intellect, by... The, uh, the Maharal talks about the Seichel, which I translate as the spiritual intellect, which is to rule over the, which, which we need to listen to and not to respond to the needs of the goof. Um, so let, let, me, let me try and sum this up and rephrase it. The, the goof is, the, the, okay, the, the demands of the goof are probably not good, bad. So distinguish that from the that from? The goof itself. Yes, okay. But, but, yeah, but, what I'm trying to say is that there is, this is, I get this from Rav Soloveitchik as well, um, there are religious approaches which are about negating the physical. Right? That is not ours. And it's a line from, from Halachic Man that our task is not to flee from the physical but to sanctify it. So, and others say the same thing, that our task is to live in the physical world and I would add to use our physical form but to do it for Kedusha for the needs, if you like, of the upper, not the lower. And the way we do that is we use the body, this is the Maharal, we use the body to do the mitzvot. We can't do mitzvot without the goof. The mitzvot are not just intellectual, the mitzvot are physical. Uh, he, the Maharal has this long thing about how the, the philosophers of his age were saying, you cannot do a physical act to achieve a spiritual result. 
And the, the, his response is, yes, you certainly can. And that's what I'm saying. I'm summing that up by saying that you use the body in accordance with the, the instructions of the intellect. You're still not satisfied. I, I still don't get the distinction between the, the um, impulses Um, I'm, I'm not really, fo- you're focusing more than I am on the distinction between the two. I'm saying the... the uh, Anything physical involves physical impulses. No, it's not really what I mean. I mean, like, there's certain desire for physical gratification. Uh, it's probably not appropriate to go into details. Um, but those are the ones we should not give in to. Uh, we should not be directed by what our body is telling us we want to do. We should be directed by what the Torah is telling us we should be doing. But what I'm trying to say is... We don't do that by ignoring the body. We use that by sanctifying the body. And we use the body for what the Torah is telling us to do. Okay, I don't know if I've got anything to add to this, so I think I'll, I'll leave it there. Maybe we can discuss it another time. Okay, Rashi continues by saying, Lefi, because, Shabiyom Rishon Nivra'u Shamayim Va'aretz, on the first day was created heaven and earth, heaven being heavenly and earth being earthly, Obviously, but you'll see why I say that. Basheni bara rakia le'elyonim. On the second day, he created the sky, which is part of the upper worlds. Basheli tera'eh hayabasha le'tachtodim. On the third day, he created the dry land, which is part of the lower worlds. So the score for upper and lower currently is 2-2. Baravi bara ma'orot le'elyonim. On the fourth day, he created the sun and moon, the lights for the upper world. 3-2. On the fifth day, let the earth, sw- sorry, the waters swarm with fish and then birds for the lower worlds. Three, three. So it was necessary on the sixth day to create something from the upper world and the lower world. And if not, there will be jealousy in the work of creation. Because if there isn't the, the duality on the sixth day of creation, then one will have a day more than the other. So let's say he only created Me'elyonim on the sixth day. So in the score would be four, three. And Elyonim would get four days and Tachtonim would only get three days. And that's not balanced. And not balanced leads to kina. Now what is this idea of kina? of jealousy in the work of creation. Well, we could say, as, as we can use this answer for many of these questions uh, about the anthropomorphism of inanimate objects or, or, or um, uh, plants, etc., is we're referring to the sar, the ministering angel that is appointed to look after these things. So one approach is whenever Rashi says the earth decides to do this, or the trees decide to do this, or there'll be jealousy between one part of creation and another, we mean the angels up there in heaven who are appointed to look after these things, they'll be jealous. That, that's one approach. Or you can say that Hashem, this Pasuk is telling us, Rashi is telling us that there needs to be balance. I'm thinking of balance in the force um, in a, another mythology. Um, but let's get back to this. There needs to be balance between the upper worlds and the lower worlds. And it just occurs to me right now, and I hadn't thought of this before, that perhaps this backs up what I've been trying to say before. That the lower world is not bad. The lower world is not there to be um, expunged or got rid of. The lower world serves a vital purpose in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in alliance with the upper worlds. The 
the soul, the, the Seichel, tells the goof what to do. And the Seichel uses the goof to serve Hashem. And there needs to be this balance. And that's why Rashi is saying there has to be equal. Um, not that you'd expect, perhaps, that we want the Alionim, which is obviously good, to triumph and to outweigh the Tachtonim, which is obviously bad. No, there needs to be balance. That's why Rashi says, and I, I don't think I've got the full explanation here, because I haven't seen anything that really answers why Rashi has to say this whole little piece, why Rashi needs to explain that there's a need for both on the sixth day, but that's what Rashi is saying. Rashi is saying that it's something fundamental, the creation of the world, but there needs to be this balance between upper and lower, and that's why when it comes to the sixth day of creation, something needs to be a blend of both. As I say, I think there's more to say about where Rashi needs that piece. I haven't got a better explanation of that at the moment. Yeah, you want a question? No? Okay, yes. Firmament. What's a firmament? Have you ever come across a firmament? Walking on the road, say, oh, there's a firmament. No, I don't know what it means either. It's usually translated as sky. Um, okay, I, I, I'll probably take an easy way out by saying I think it's both. I think it's the sky that we see above us, which we now know is the atmosphere, um, and above it there's space, um, but with things in. Um, but I think it's also got elements of something beyond our world. It can't be heaven, because that's created on the first day. So it's something up there. I can't do better than that. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, one more observation. Sorry, yes, go on. Um, Well, two things to say. Number one, he's actually quoting the very relevant verbs used in Perak Aleph that applied on each day. But having said that, obviously, that's not a full response because why in Perak Aleph does it use bara and not in other places? Um, I have to say, at the risk of sounding patronizing, that's a really good observation. Uh, and I'm sure there is something there. I don't know right now what. But um, I'm sure there is. Now, Bara is, is really creation ex nihilo, is yesh is, is where there was nothing before, now there's something. And maybe that applies more to the heavenly things, which the nature of their creation is, is there's nothing to start with, and then, then there's something. Whereas on Earth, he's taking the raw materials and putting them together and making something happen, uh, which would explain those verbs. But that's probably just a, that, that's just a starting point to examine what you've observed. Um, I guess there is something in there. Yes, I'm not quite sure what yet. Right so now, that, uh, because in my English translation, they only put in quotation marks like on Shdashi and Revi'i, not on Bara Rakia, not on Bara Meorot. So, like, like, does it say is it Bara Meorot and Bara Rakia? Uh, it's certainly Bara on the very first part. So, Rishi Bara Lukim at Hashemayim Bara Aretz, and that applies to the first day. The second day is go is Rakia. 
doesn't actually say bara, you're right. It says, let there be a firmament or a sky. And No, in fact, in fact, thank you, Jacob. Actually, I was a bit too quick to say that um, it was um, directly quoting the words from Peregalov. I think, as you've just pointed out, the bara is not a direct quote, although it's perhaps the appropriate word equivalent to what was used. But on day, uh, what was it, day two and day four, he is quoting the exact words. So more to study there, more, more to talk about. Now, the time is 9.29. We've got a little bit more to do, but I don't want to rush it. It's quite important to talk about the Nefesh Chaya. So we will stop there, and we will meet again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you.